All right, my mic is rubbing on my beard a little bit. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, that's why I usually shave before Sunday, so that doesn't happen. Um, uh, all right, so as distracting as that is, as distracted as I've been <laughs> starting up here, I, I want to tell you guys about the, uh, the first time that I had guacamole, okay? I want to tell you about the first time I had guacamole. It was a magical experience, okay? I, I grew up in a house that didn't have a lot of food variety in it, okay? My dad, he's really picky, so we, a lot of things I just assume were bad uh, were actually good. My mom, her parents immigrated from Ireland, and so my family, it was very much like a meat and potatoes family growing up. And so there was a lot of food I didn't try. And one of those foods was guacamole. Like I'd seen guacamole at parties, but I just assumed like, hey, that's something gross. That's not something for the G family, right? And so uh, one day in high school, I had forgot to bring my lunch and I'm walking around and I didn't have time to go get lunch. And I, I was probably trying to bum as much food off my friends as possible. And one of my friends has a carne asada burrito. And he, he, he has it there gleaming, shining in the uh, fluorescent lights. And he says, Anthony, do you, do you want a bite of my burrito? I said, oh, I thought you'd never ask. And so I go and I take a bite of his uh, burrito, which sounds insane in these COVID times. But I took a bite of his burrito. And what happened in my mouth was amazing. There, there were flavors flaving that I've never flaved before. Like it was just, it was insane. Like it was just like all this goodness was happening. My taste buds were experiencing things they had never experienced before. And so I go to my buddy and I go, what is this sauce inside of this burrito? And he said, that's not a sauce, friend. That's guacamole. <laughs> and I, my world was rocked. This guacamole I'd seen at parties that I thought was gross. I had just eaten it. It was amazing. I felt like, uh, like, you know, green eggs and ham guy. Like, I just, I felt like my life had changed. Okay, what does that have to do with where we're going today? We are back in the Gospel of John. We started back in the Gospel of John last week. And today, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to give an introduction to the Holy Spirit. And over the coming weeks, Jesus is actually going to talk about the Holy Spirit a fair amount. But today, in the passage that we're in, in John chapter 14, Jesus is going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and the things that the Holy Spirit brings. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit like the Holy Spirit is a person. And here's the thing. I think a lot of times in the church, and I think especially in churches like ours who love the Bible a lot, we know about the Holy Spirit we like the Holy Spirit. We might even honor the Holy Spirit. We respect the Holy Spirit. But none of us would say, yeah, I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so my hope as we go through this sermon today is that, that we would realize that we have access to the Holy Spirit, that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, whether you think you do or not, whether you talk about the Holy Spirit, whether you think about the Holy Spirit or not, you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But when we actually know that the Holy Spirit is someone that we can have a relationship with, it changes things. It, it, it keeps us from thinking that the Holy Spirit is just a set of ideas or a power or a force or, or just the third person of the Trinity. And when you know that the Holy Spirit is not really necessarily those things, although he is the third person of the Trinity, but he is a person that you can have a relationship with, a hunger in you develops for the Holy Spirit. 
a hunger that can only be satisfied by more of the Holy Spirit. Just like me and guacamole. That first day I had guacamole, from that day forward, I was like, I need to get more guacamole. And the rest of my life has just been a journey of getting more guacamole. (laughs) When we have a hunger and a desire for the Holy Spirit, when we know what we have in the Holy Spirit, we will hunger and desire the Holy Spirit the way that I hunger and desire for guacamole. It's just true. Listen, again, I don't think any Christian lives life without the Holy Spirit, but I do think a lot of us do not live intentionally pursuing the Spirit, intentionally trying to be in a relationship with the Spirit. And so over the coming weeks, as we learn about the Spirit, and today as we get an introduction to the Holy Spirit, here's my hope for us, is that we would walk away more hungry for the Holy Spirit in our life. That we would walk away wanting more of the Spirit in our life. That we would walk away looking for the Spirit more in our life. So you could sum up the hope for my sermon as this, is that may we know and hunger for the Holy Spirit the way I know and hunger for guacamole. All right, so here's what we're going to do today to, to, to get there, to, to live out that hope. We're going to read this large passage from John chapter 14. We're going to read this large passage all together. And then after we read the passage, we're going to pull three ideas from the passage. And we're going to talk about those three ideas. Okay, so the first idea that we're going to pull from the passage is that obedience comes from being loved. The second idea we're going to pull from the passage is an introduction to the Holy Spirit. And we're particularly going to look at these two titles that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. Two names, really, that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing that we're going to pull from this passage is uh, the things that the Holy Spirit brings with him. Okay? So... Let's start by reading this passage together. We're in John chapter 14. If you haven't been with us or if you've forgotten where we are, uh, essentially Jesus is headed towards the cross. And he's pouring his heart out to the disciples. And he's kind of saying all these things that really matter to him. But what he did at first is just pour his love out to them. And he's kind of saying, listen, my love is the foundation for your discipleship. My love is the foundation for where we go from here. And then Jesus is kind of mentioning here, there, listen, I'm going to leave. Listen, I'm going to the cross. Listen, bad things are about to happen. And, it's, and, and the disciples are freaking out because this is not how rabbis, this is not how messiahs in that day acted. They didn't leave. They didn't abandon. They, and so the disciples are starting to feel abandoned and orphaned And freaking out, even though Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to freak out. And so Jesus teaches them some things here in John chapter 14 to help them know why they don't need to be freaking out. And also to help them know what is to come. Okay, so John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to read all the way through 31. I know that's a lot, but uh, if you read it and listen and pay attention, it will actually be engaging. Okay, so... um, Verse 15 says this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and, I'll come to, I, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now... I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Okay. So this big passage where Jesus begins to comfort his disciples in the midst of their fears and the worries, and there's a lot we can pull from this passage. The first thing that I want to pull from this passage is this. Obedience comes from being loved. Obedience to God comes from being loved by God. Okay? Verse 15 says this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Verse 23 says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. These are just two of the places in this passage where we see this connection between obedience and love. Here's what we have to realize. When we read this passage and we're looking at this, it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, Hey, if you obey me, then you get my love. We have to realize that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not setting up a contract for his love. Jesus is not saying, hey, when you obey me, the contract is you get my love. That's not what Jesus is setting up at all. Jesus is setting up a set of essential relations. Jesus is essentially saying, when God loves you, you obey. Jesus is saying, when God loves you, you obey. These two things are inseparable. For those of you in the room going, well, I don't know. As I read it, it still kind of sounds like John's saying that, or Jesus is saying that, that if you obey, then you get my love. You have to remember that the last chapter was just focused on Jesus' love for his disciples That Jesus lived out this love, and he said, this love, because you have this love now, you can go and love in this way. We have to realize in the next chapter of John, Jesus is going to talk about abiding in God and abiding in the love of God before he talks about obeying God. Almost as if Jesus is saying, when you abide in love, that's when you can obey God. And then it's probably also helpful to realize in some of John's other letters, the things he says about love are not conditional, but with God being the foundation of love. And so in one of the letters John wrote, he said, we only love because God first loved us. Okay, and so Jesus is not setting up a contract for his love, but Jesus is saying for the disciple of Jesus, 
if you're, when you're loved, you obey. Or Jesus is really saying, for the disciple, the disciple of Jesus is loved, and because the disciple of Jesus is loved, that disciple will obey God and obey his commands. So, for everybody that sins in the room, which is all of us, but those of us that know we sin, we're freaking out right now. Because <laughs> we're going, well, okay, God loves me. It says I should obey and saying it's the set of essential relations. How come I keep disobeying God time and time again? So a few things to those of us in the room that are going, this is kind of freaking me out what Jesus is saying. Here's the thing. When you obey God out of your own strength, you're going to fail. And I think often we fail in obedience to God because we are trying to obey God, not out of his love for us, but out of our own strength and trying to strive towards him. Now, there is a healthy striving in obedience, but often we are striving just to save ourselves and we have forgotten God's love and we're not doing it anchored in his love. But when you obey out of being loved, you'll obey. Jesus also, he isn't saying here, hey, Christians just stop sinning once they become a Christian. Although he might be referring to the resurrection here a little bit. And in the resurrection, God is going to give us a heart that does not sin anymore. And so that could be part of what Jesus is referencing here. But Jesus, I think, is describing an overall characteristic of his people, of his disciples. An overall trajectory. If you are a disciple of Jesus... It should, you should be able to be described as someone that obeys God, that obeys Jesus, that walks in his footsteps. From the day that you decide to follow Jesus, the day that God saves you, from that day forward, there should be a trajectory of deeper levels of obedience to God. Now, I don't think it's, uh, I don't know math, exponential. I don't think it's just like this exponential thing always. I think it's kind of more like sometimes it's up and then you kind of, oh, that was a bad year. And then like it kind of like goes up. But I think the overall trajectory of the disciple of Jesus is one where you could say they obey God. And so for those of us that are freaking out about this, we have to be honest with ourselves and look at our overall trajectory. If you go, man, my trajectory is just real bad. Listen, sometimes God is working in your life in ways that are hard to see. And the enemy has come in and he's convinced you that, he is, uh, that you have not been saved, that you, have, that you don't obey when you actually do. But on the flip side of that, something that we have to realize as disciples of Christ is disciples of Christ obey God. We obey God. And so if you're sitting here and you're going, I'm a disciple of Christ, but then you look at all the commandments of God and you don't find yourself obeying them very often, I think you have to wrestle with that. I think you have to ask yourself, why is that happening? What's going on there? We as the people of God obey God because we're loved by God. This idea of obeying God, this idea of obedience, it's, it's lost its sweetness to us. Have you guys noticed that? Like Preachers don't like to talk about this idea of obeying God we don't like to talk about this idea of obeying God. And I think it's simply because of this. I think it's because obeying God means we lose our autonomy. 
If we, if we talk about how much scripture invites us into obeying, obeying God's commands, that's going to infringe on my autonomy as a person. That's going to infringe on what I decide to do with my life because there is somebody else saying, hey, there is something better to do with your life than what you think. But if we are truly disciples of Jesus, loved by God, we are a people that will obey God. Obedience to God doesn't have to lose its sweetness to us because it's connected to the love of God. For Jesus, this is a set of essential relations. We are loved and we obey. Those things go hand in hand for the disciple of Christ. They are inextricably linked. True obedience can only come from realizing that we're loved by God. But the disciple of Christ obeys God, obeys Jesus' commands. So if you're, if you're the sort of Christian in here and you think obeying God or talking about obedience to God is like this outdated or antiquated idea, you're wrong. I would actually say it's an ancient idea. It's fundamental to what it means to be human that we would obey God. Or if you're the sort of Christian that puts priority on obeying God's laws without ever looking at his love and being rooted and founded in his love, you're wrong too. And you're probably trying to save yourself. You're probably trying to set up systems where you look more righteous than everybody else. And that has all sorts of problems with it as well. For the disciple of Christ... We realize that we are loved, and because we are loved, we obey God. These things are linked together. These things go hand in hand. We don't get God's love because we obey. We obey because we get God's love. And as that happens, as we become disciples of Christ, Jesus gives us his spirit and he's letting the disciples know about that spirit in this passage. And so here's the second thing that I want to pull from this passage is Jesus gives us an introduction to the Holy Spirit. Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit. This is the guacamole I want you guys to have. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' game plan for us. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' game plan for us. He's leaving, but he's leaving us with the Holy Spirit. Friends, I would argue that every interaction that you have with God today, right now, because we are on the other side of the resurrection, I would say is an interaction with the Holy Spirit. When we interact with God here on the other side of the resurrection, we are actually interacting with the Holy Spirit, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you know it or not. Every interaction with God right now on this side of the resurrection, I believe, is an interaction with the Holy Spirit. And if that's true, we should know who this Holy Spirit is. And, and Jesus, over the coming weeks, is going to help us to know who that Holy Spirit is. But to start us off, he gives us these two titles for the Holy Spirit, or two names, whatever you want to call it. And the first title or name that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit is he says, the Holy Spirit is the helper, the helper. It actually depends on which English version you're reading, on what uh, word you'll get here. The ESV that we read from today, it says helper. Uh, the King James Version, I think it says comforter. Uh, another version says advocate. 
Another version says counselor. And these are actually all really good words to translate this Greek word here. The Greek word here is paraclete. Those are all really good words to translate that word. But whenever you see that different English translations have uh, so many different words for one Greek word, what we have to realize is that Greek word is so robust of a word, so jam-packed with meaning in the original Greek that no one English word will suffice. No one English word is good enough to convey, convey the robustness of this word paraclete in the Greek. Uh, Tim Keller, when talking through this, t- through this uh, translation, and he talks about the different English t- translations, he says this. He says, uh, advocate in English, it comes across a little too hard. Uh, helper in English comes across a little too weak. Comforter comes across too soft. Counselor is a little bit too detached in English. And so what Keller does is he proposes a a new word for paraclete, a new way to translate this word. And what Keller proposes for us, and he, he thinks those are all good words, but what he proposes for us is to think of the Holy Spirit as the ultimate friend. To think of the Holy Spirit as the ultimate friend. And the reason I appreciate that translation of paraclete, of the helper, is because when I think of the phrase, the ultimate friend, there's a lot that I think about. There are a lot of things that I think about, as opposed to when I just hear the word helper, I don't think about a lot of things. And so I kind of want to run with this translation from Keller of going, hey, the Holy Spirit is the ultimate friend because it sticks out to me. It it speaks to me, and it speaks to me because I actually grew up with one of the best friends ever. My best friend, his name's Yvonne, and uh, he just got married a couple weeks ago. And at his wedding, I, I didn't realize how emotional and sentimental I would be. I met Yvonne when we were in fifth grade. And we've been friends ever since. And so Yvonne, more than any other person, has been like constant, a constant throughout my life. And so when Keller uses this word ultimate friend, I'm going to my friend Yvonne and I'm thinking about my friend Yvonne who has spent so many, like over two decades with just living life. And I think about, especially at his wedding, what his wedding caused me to do is just think about our friendship and think about our relationship and think about how our friendship has formed me as a person. I don't think it's a secret. Over the last year, I've had like one of the hardest years in my life. And as I've had this hard year, I've, I've tried to press more into God. I've tried to examine myself more. I've tried to read some things. I'm seeing a, uh, a Christian coach counselor uh, who's, who's walking me through some things. And some of the things that he had me read talks about how crucial our relationships are and how crucial especially our formative relationships are in teaching us what it means to love, what it means to be human, how to connect to others, how to be vulnerable, how to cope with the pains of this world. And as I was reflecting on those things and seeing those things and then watching my buddy move towards marriage and then get married, I realized that if God had not brought my friend Yvonne into my life, I would be even more a mess than I am. I'm already a mess, but I'd be even more of a mess if I didn't have this sort of ultimate friend, Yvonne. And so when Keller proposes this word, uh, the ultimate friend for Holy Spirit, it sticks out to me because that idea is jam-packed with meaning for me. And I think that the Holy Spirit is 
much better of an ultimate friend than even my best friend, Yvonne. Jesus wants to give us an ultimate friend in the Holy Spirit. And it's better than any earthly friend that we could have. The Holy Spirit is an ultimate friend. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit will stay by our side only the way an ultimate friend can. The Spirit will comfort us only the way an intimate friend can. The Spirit will correct us only the way a true friend can with truth and love and without abandoning us. The Spirit will encourage us and cheer us on and remind us of who we really are in Christ the way only an ultimate friend can. The Holy Spirit can give you all that and more because the Spirit is a friend in a way no earthly friend can be a friend. The Spirit can reach the depths and the recesses of our heart in a way that no friend can. Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he's left us with his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the comforter, the ultimate friend. Do you think of the Holy Spirit in all those ways? Maybe you don't like the ultimate friend language. Just take those four English words. Do you think of the Spirit as a counselor, an advocate, a comforter, a helper? Do you think of the Spirit in those ways? I would encourage you that if you don't, maybe you should start. Maybe you should begin to relate to the Holy Spirit in a way that sees the the Holy Spirit as a comforter, a counselor, an advocate, a helper. And I would contend the ultimate friend. Jesus gives another title to the Spirit here to introduce us to the Spirit. He says, even the Spirit of truth. And he's essentially clarifying, it's the Spirit of truth that I'm giving you. It's the Holy Spirit that I'm giving you. And this title, Spirit of Truth, is packed with meaning itself. And it means at least this, that as Jesus goes away, each of them are going to have access to God's truth. And not just them, but all of us. That as Jesus goes away, he's going to send his spirit and the people of God will have access to God's truth. Which a lot of uh, theologians, at least a couple that I, I looked at, they say, listen, when Jesus is saying this, this means like essentially Jesus saying, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of everything he taught you. And so then as the apostles teach what Jesus teach, they're, they're teaching the actual words of Jesus. As the apostles wrote down what Jesus taught them, they're writing down the actual words of the spirit of truth. This idea that we get the spirit of truth puts a high value on the Bible. It sees the Bible as God's word. There's plenty of other places in scripture that sees the Bible as God's word. But I I just want to point that out because I think we're increasingly uh, living in a society that's trying to erode the Bible as God's word. Now listen, it was written by people. We've talked, about, we've talked about this full in their personalities. But somehow the Holy Spirit breathed through them. And it's God's word to us. And we can trust it because God gave the apostles and now us the spirit of truth. 
We get the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is the ultimate friend, the helper, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Knowing those things about the Holy Spirit, I don't know about you, it makes me want to have a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. It makes me want to know the Holy Spirit more. At the very least, be empowered by the Holy Spirit more. And I hope it does for you, too. Jesus' introduction uh, to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't actually just end with these two titles of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also goes on to tell us things we get because of the Holy Spirit, things we have because of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the third thing that I want to pull out from this text. The Holy Spirit brings peace, reminders, and presence. The Holy Spirit brings peace, reminders, and presence. Okay, first, let's look at peace. Verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's actually kind of an interesting play on words here that Jesus is having with the disciples. We know that Jewish people, when they say hello and when they say goodbye, they say shalom. That was true back then, and this word peace there is that word shalom. And it's interesting because Jesus is kind of making these farewell, uh, like a farewell discourse to all the disciples, and the disciples are like, well, where are you going? And Jesus has a little play on words here with that farewell word shalom. And he essentially says, I'm leaving you with shalom. I'm not just saying goodbye. I'm actually leaving you with this shalom, this peace. But what is that? What is Jesus leaving us with through the Holy Spirit? I actually like how the New Living Translation translates verse 27. I'm going to read it. It says this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The Holy Spirit brings a certain level of peace into our life. The Holy Spirit offers the gift of peace, of shalom, of things as they should be, as God's intention for the world. The Holy Spirit brings that with him. The reason I want to point out what the Holy Spirit brings is, again, the Holy Spirit so often is so detached from us, so detached from our faith, that the only way we interact with God or the Holy Spirit is through the word, which I think is a good way to interact with him. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace through the Holy Spirit. That even when everything outside doesn't make sense, and what Jesus in that context was saying, even when the Son of God is being killed, I'm giving you peace. I'm leaving you with peace. I'm leaving you with shalom. So even when things aren't good on the outside, the Holy Spirit on the inside helps us to live life the way it's supposed to be, helps us to be anchored the way we're supposed to be. The Holy Spirit brings peace with it. That makes me want to have more connection to the Holy Spirit, not less. Okay, the second thing that the Holy Spirit brings are reminders and truth, which we kind of touched on. But let me reread verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
So the Holy Spirit will remind us about what Jesus said. Now, we, we, we can't get goofy with this, okay? Some people get goofy with this. They go, listen, he's reminding me of everything Jesus said. And Jesus one time said this, but they didn't write it down. Listen, that, I, I don't think that happened, okay? I think you're crazy. We could meet Jesus in the resurrection and we could go, Jesus, did you really say this? But sometimes people build whole doctrines and ways of life out of something they think the Spirit is saying to them that contradicts the Scriptures. And that's not okay at all. But because of that, kind of like we get freaked out by that, we don't realize that the Holy Spirit can lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit can remind us of what Jesus taught. There is a miracle that happens for each and every disciple of Jesus is that we, because of the Holy Spirit, know the words of Jesus without ever being there. And maybe it's all through God's word. Maybe that's what you think. I think at times... The Holy Spirit speaks to us the teachings of Jesus that we can later find in the Gospels because of how the Holy Spirit works. Because the Spirit brings reminders. I remember when I was immature in my faith and I wasn't reading the Bible a lot, I'd find myself in these moral quandaries instead of going to Scripture. uh, Or sometimes I'd go to Scripture and I just couldn't find back then like what... Uh, the answer to these questions or moral quandaries I had was, well, a lot of times what I would do is I'd begin to pray and I'd begin to go, okay, God, what are you saying? How do, we, how do you lead me in this? What am I supposed to do in this moral situation? How am I supposed to live this out, live this part of my faith or life out? And what I found very often was the Holy Spirit would lead me to the truth only to find later, at a later time, reading the scriptures that it was something Jesus had taught. There is a miracle of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us reminders and makes the words of Jesus as if we heard them with our own ears. The Holy Spirit gives reminders. And I think having a relationship that's more deep with the Holy Spirit will cause us to hear the reminders of the Holy Spirit more clearly. The Holy Spirit helps us to walk in the footsteps of our rabbi, King Jesus. Okay? All right, the, 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 finally, the, and probably I think the best thing that the Holy Spirit brings is presence. And I mean the presence of God. So not presence, but presence of God. His very presence. We're not left as orphans. God makes himself manifest to us through the Spirit. That language is right there in John 14. God does not leave us as orphans, and God makes himself manifest to us. That's a big deal. That's, it. That's crazy. That through the Holy Spirit, we have God's manifest presence in our life. Do we live like that? Do we actually think that? But that's what Jesus is telling us in John 14. One of the best components of the gospel to me is this. Jesus lived, because Jesus lived a holy life, because he died a cursed death, and because he raised from the dead triumphantly as king over sin and death, because he did all of that, we don't just get a new religion. We get the presence of God himself. The veil was torn. In the Old Testament, the the manifest presence of God was the Ark of the Covenant, where people would touch it and just drop dead at times. 
where the very presence of God was felt and manifest. Now, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings us the manifest presence of God. Isn't that amazing? This is why, this is the guacamole I want you guys to have. And I know that's silly, and especially people that don't like guacamole are like, this illustration's falling flat. But this is how good the Holy Spirit is. And yet we treat the Holy Spirit and talk about the Holy Spirit like, ah, who cares, right? I don't really, there's only the weird Christians that talk about that guy, right? Am I right? Right? Like, that's how we act. And listen, there's a lot of Christians that gotten really weird with Holy Spirit stuff. I, I, I've seen it. But we should cling to the truth that Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. And one of the truths that Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit is that we get the manifest presence of God in some way. That is insane to me. And that just makes me want to have more of the Holy Spirit. Do you hunger for intimacy? You have it in the Holy Spirit. Do you feel like you're alone? You're not because God himself, the Holy Spirit, is with you. Are you the sort of person that wants to be vulnerable, but you're scared to be vulnerable because of what it could do to your friendships and relationships? There is nothing you can say to the Holy Spirit that will freak him out. I want us as the church to be hungry for the Holy Spirit. Because in the Holy Spirit, we get the presence of God. Okay, so because we are loved, we obey God. And because of that dynamic, Jesus sends the Spirit, who's the ultimate friend. And not only is the Spirit the ultimate friend, the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And that Holy Spirit gives us peace, gives us reminders, teaches us the words of Jesus, and gives us the very presence of God himself. Church, may we taste and see that the Holy Spirit is good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your spirit. This is astonishing to me that we get your spirit. Jesus, every time I read about the Holy Spirit, I, I truly am astonished about all that we have in the Holy Spirit. And the reason I'm astonished, Jesus, is because it just seems too good. And I so often don't live my life pursuing the Spirit in those ways, or pursuing those things from the Spirit. And yet, God, I think, especially in the next chapter of John, you're going to encourage us to pursue that, to encourage us to pursue those things from the Holy Spirit. God, thank you that the second we believe, you give us the Spirit. Thank you for that. Regardless of our theology around the Spirit, you give us the Spirit the second we believe. God, I ask that in the ways that we need to pursue the Holy Spirit more that we do. In the ways we misunderstand the Holy Spirit that it would be made clear to us. In the ways where we don't access things of the Spirit that we can, that you would help us to access those things, God. These things are beautiful about you, God, but sometimes in practice it can get confusing or it can still feel like you're far off. And so, God, I would ask in your mercy, would you give everybody in this room 
the Holy Spirit in a way that we get these gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. That we get these things that the Holy Spirit brings with it as well. That we wouldn't just honor the Holy Spirit with our minds, but that we would have a true experience of the Spirit. God, I truly am asking that you would do that in our midst. Holy Spirit, there's some in here who are desperate for you. Will you answer their prayer? Jesus, thank you for sending the Spirit. May we see what a gift it is that we have the Spirit and that we're not left as orphans. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.